2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode ninety-nine of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I, I just had a little moment of <gasps> when you said
1: ninety-nine. I know, right? I know. That's it's, so old.
2: It's it's good though. It's exciting. Like in podcast years. That's like practically ancient dead. Mm. (laughs) well no (laughs) i'm live and kicking sorry sorry we're on to
1: our second (laughs) life (laughs) oh that's true yes we're about to just kick up a notch aren't we
2: yes and we want to say thank you to everyone who has left us some reviews on itunes it's been very exciting and a big shout out to marianne who left us a five-star review uh and marianne's from the united arab Emirates, and she says, I love, 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 in caps, this podcast. I listened every week. I listen every week from Dubai, having found out about it from a fellow blogger slash writer in Qatar. I'm British, so you've got several corners of the world covered. The funny thing is that being such an avid listener and working my way through the back catalogue too, my English accent now has a very slight Aussie twang every now and then. What's she talking about? We don't have an accent <laughs> at all. She continues, yes. I'm actually starting to sound like you guys. Keep up the good work, Alison and Val. It's really appreciated. From Marianne, whose website is DubaiUnveiled.com. Thank,
1: oh, you. thank you, Marianne. So, you so much, Marianne. When you start saying, g'day, mate. Yeah. Because we say that all the
2: time, don't
1: yeah, we? Yeah, all
2: the time. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> time all the time. <laughs> but thank you for that. And if you do have 30 seconds to leave us a rating or review on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it because oh, yes. drumroll. Drum roll, We've parade. got a great little competition to celebrate our 100th episode coming up. And someone is going to win a $100 voucher to use on courses at the Australian Writers' Centre. And to do that, all you need to do is leave a review on iTunes and the one that tickles our fancy the most will win the $100 voucher. So thank you to those people who have taken the time to do that. We really appreciate it and we will be announcing the winner after the 100th episode. We will. But tell me, Al, what have you been up to this week?
1: Oh, well, what have I been up to? Uh, Well, I've been Instagramming because, you know, now Ah, that I'm on
2: Instagram, I'm
1: just this mad keen Instagrammer Mm. because that's how I roll. I'm enjoying And Procrusty Pub, people are suggesting to me that perhaps he just needs to have his entire own Instagram account because he's got such a following. Um, So I've been doing that. But I've also been editing, Valerie. So Instagram is a very nice break from that because editing, of course, is about as much fun as you can't ever have. Mm -hmm. Um, But the good news is that today I finished my edit.
2: And I (gasps) had a moment of
1: cheering and then I sent it off to my agent and now I'm just going to sit and
2: wait and Mm. wait and wait and wait to see what happens next because that's what happens with publishing. It's a waiting game, isn't it? It's hurry up and wait. But what happens if you're waiting and, you know, that might take a few weeks, it might take longer. Who knows, right? So… Uh, when you are waiting, you know how one of the things that you always say is to have another book going at the time. Yes. And be writing something else. Yes. Are you will you be writing somebody else while you are playing the waiting game?
1: No, I'm actually going to be editing Um, so regular listeners might remember that I have just had a a real burst of activity in the last few months and I've actually written two separate manuscripts. And so I have been, um, I will be editing the second one of those, which has now been sitting in a drawer for, um, you know, about six to eight weeks while I kind of got on with finishing off that first one. Mm. And so now I will pull out, I'm just going to have a little minute of rest, just yes, quietly. I'm going to lie down for a moment or two. Yes. And then I will drag out the other manuscript, which has just been read by some beta readers for me. I've had a couple of small people that I know read those, <laughs> uh, read it for me and make notes and they're very funny. I love the notes. Um, and and so in I'll case be-
2: anyone is new to Alison's work, you're new to this podcast, when Alison's referring to small readers. Not it's- hobbits. <laughs> Explain why they're small readers out. <laughs> because I write middle grade fiction. and. Okay. So my
1: beta readers this time around are age 12 and 10. Ah. And um, so I'm just, yes, I'm about to undertake the edit of that particular manuscript. Um, and then once I've done that, I'll send that off and then I will probably lie down again for a minute and then I'll start something different. And I think I might go back to adult fiction for my next one and just have another crack at that. Oh, really? Yeah, I feel, I feel like I need a... I feel like I need to do try something different. Got an idea, going to try something different.
2: That's very exciting. Hmm. Well, I'm also editing as well, and it's something that I have been meaning to edit for a really long time. Well, not really long, for a couple of months, which but I should have started it really a couple of months ago. And it's, you know, a classic case of procrastination, right? So, I've just mm-hmm. let it sit there and sit there and sit there and is this finally. the banoffee pie thing? Uh, yes, it's related to the banoffee pie thing. Right. And finally, I'm probably only ooh, 25%, oh, no, not even 20% in, but at least I've started. Mm. And now the banoffee pie is, you know, actually. Calling
1: your name. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, we'll see how we go. Alright. But and at least I've started.
1: What else have you been doing in the interim? What have you been reading for us, Val? What have what you got if- to share? Oh,
2: yes. Well, I, have, I came across a very interesting post uh, from Writer Unboxed and it's called Writing Crime Action 10 Years Later. And it's been written by someone called Libby Fisher-Hellman, who obviously writes crime fiction, and she talks about the changes in um, the publishing industry and the way people read. So mm. she's had a career, you know, for 35 years. She was initially in broadcast news and then she started writing crime. But one of the things that she makes a comment on, I thought was interesting, and of course we'll put these links in the show notes if you want to have a proper read, and you'll find them at writerscentercomau slash podcasts. Uh, But one of the things that she mentions is that the whole world has ADD today Mm. and they read um, a lot shorter things. And so one of the things is she's writing shorter chapters and that she used to include at least two scenes in each chapter, but she doesn't do that anymore. She writes one scene per chapter because people have ADD. Mm. Um, She's also writing shorter chapters novels as in in terms of word count. So she used to write 90 000 to 100,000 words and now she's writing like around 70,000 words and there Gosh. are fewer sh- subplots as well. Mm. But the but the shortness isn't just the length. It's like the length of the, you know, overall thing. She's saying that she's become stingier with her narrative as well. So she's trying to keep um keep a, a, a setting or action or a character to three or four sentences. So Gosh. it's interesting. It's really making an effort to um, cater for the fact that people just have shorter attention spans. And it's really interesting also because I, I was at a conference um not long ago, well, just last week. And and it, that, that this was in the context of business books, though, so not fiction. And business books, as we know, a lot of business books are a lot shorter than novels mm. anyway. But someone put their hand up and they said, how long should my business book be? And the answer um, from the expert on stage, who's a wonderful guy, Andrew Griffiths, and he said, the plane ride from Sydney to Melbourne. An hour. <laughs> so That's obviously there's a, well there's a little bit of skimming, and you know there's taxiing on the runway. It's a little bit more than an hour, <laughs> really. <laughs> taxiing on the runway. Now it's true because I am always buying thing buying books um, on the plane between Sydney and Melbourne. I don't finish them, but I I reckon I get three quarters. I, I'm happy when I get three quarters through because I know I'll finish that other quarter like in the car or in the taxi or whatever it is. Mm. Um, but And that's for the sort of slightly smaller business books. If I'm buying a bigger business book, I I might only get, you know, halfway through or 40% through, but that still um, gives me a – good idea as to what's in it but it's so true I think a lot and that's why it's so coveted by people to um, be stocked in airport bookshops isn't it because Mm. you get all of that traffic you just want something to do on the plane on the plane yeah Mm. Mm. but yes lots of changes and particularly in the area of crime writing I'll just go back to um, what Libby is saying is that one of the biggest changes has been in tradecraft in the fact that, you know, what detectives do, what police do, what forensic pe- people mm. do these days is so different to, yep. you know, what it was a year ago. You can't let your reader think, but can't you just use your mobile and ring them, you know, because yeah, that can yeah. save you from so many situations.
1: Well, I think that's why so many people set actually set them 10, 15, 20 years ago. I think yes. that's why because then you, you have, you know, there's there's valid reasons and you, you're not having to keep up with exactly what's going on next week whereas, yeah. you know, you know what the parameters were in the 80s or in the 70s or whenever and mm-hmm. you can actually work around them like that. And I have to say I hate James Patterson chapters. I hate them. Because I hate the of, ones.
2: they're so short.
1: Oh, they're so short. It's just irritating. There's a cliffhanger, you know, every five pages <laughs> and you're kind of going, oh, come on, people. Like, really? I don't um, mind the
2: cliffhanger. <laughs> it
1: has to be done. Well,
2: they are. Have you read one lately? Like, yeah, yeah. it's been
1: a while but. <laughs> yeah, no. Five I pages. I yeah. But that's enough. one thing that kids did say to me um, with some of the chapters um, in the Mapmaker Chronicles because they're not short. Mm. Um, there are several scenes in, in each chapter and a couple of kids said to me, why did you make the chapter so long? I have to read one before I go to bed at night and if I can't get to the end of it and I thought, okay, I took that on board. I went away with that and I took it on board because it's true. You forget kids are reading before bed and they don't, you know, they want to know what's going to happen, you know. And if, if they're saying just one more chapter, yes. then mum doesn't want it to take half an hour to read. So, you've got to think yeah. about these things, even when you're writing for, you know, independent readers like I am. Yeah, very good point. Very good point.
2: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's move on to something a little bit different. Uh, I found an article in the Huffington Post really can make a living as a writer here's what you need to know and it's written by a freelance writer called Sherry Gray and Mm. um, she covers you know the usual things that we talk about but one of the things that uh, that I think is particularly interesting because it's certainly a trend that I'm seeing at the moment and I'm seeing it explode this year is she says that the demand for good content writers is endless now a lot of freelance a lot of content writers are actually coming out of traditional journalism or people who are freelance writers who write for magazines and newspapers whether they're print or online and they're like five years ago if you were writing content that means you were being really poorly paid because Mm. you were getting like ten dollars a post or twenty dollars a post or something really really from a content mill from a content mill but Mm. things have changed a lot just in the last couple of years and now i'm meeting more and more a content writers but b businesses who want good content writers and um i'm seeing just an explosion on for demand for these people as 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 sherry is saying as well Mm. so um i remember you talking about this towards the end of last year you were saying that it was something that you were
1: uh looking at researching and investigating more closely because you could see the trend and you could see it um you know that rise in demand coming Mm. um so it's interesting that it's happened so quick like it's happening so quickly because I, I agree with you like a few years ago like if you'd said to me that content writers would be well paid I would have laughed at you because it was mm. so abominably bad. So bad. Um, Trying to you you know you had to write 50 articles a day to make yep. you know decent money. Yep. Um, so it's interesting because at that stage you know, the internet was all about just getting the SEO links up there and just getting the content on the page. And, and it was people were writing for search engines, not yep. writing for people. Mm. And, you know, I, I just, I remember thinking a few years ago, this has to change at some point, you know, how is it going to work? Mm. Um, and it's interesting to see that it, that it is coming through because there there is only a certain level of, what will we call it, crap, yeah. <laughs> that people will actually put up with, you know. And yeah. they will stop coming to your site or they will stop, you know, listening to what you have to say if if what you're giving them is not, you know, up to par. So I think it's it's interesting and I think it's great that people are finding a way to to make money that way again. I think that's brilliant.
2: Yeah, definitely. And what's important to note though that the the the, the content farm still exists so the, there are still yeah. you know situations where people are only get, getting paid 10 to 20 or 30 dollars per post but at least now there are many more publishers and corporations emerging where they are paying extremely well it's sometimes mm. even a lot better than traditional journalism mm. uh, and so that's very exciting so don't get us wrong those they both still exist you just got to yep. make sure you write for the well-paying yep. ones yeah do you research yes do your research so another thing another um article that I thought was interesting because uh, sometimes people you probably get this question now do you get this question um where people say to you you know what can I do what tool can I use or whatever to improve my grammar because or maybe you even come across them you read their writing you go and you think to yourself oh my god they really need some help with their grammar <laughs> they don't need a tool for their grammar <laughs> I might,
1: I might admit that you know, uncharitably, I have had that thought in the past, yes, but not very often. As we've discussed, I'm not judging people when they send me emails. No, so, you know. Anywho, where are so, we going?
2: There's a um, no, nice little review on PC Magazine. But I improved my writing with Grammarly, as in the app called Grammarly, mm-hmm. and so it's written by someone called Jill Duffy, and she has she's you know thinks that her grammar's okay because she is actually a writer, so she. I've tried the app Grammarly. I haven't – I've downloaded it, but I haven't actually – tried it so you know thank you Jill for doing the work for me mm-hmm. and in summary because you you can read the um, review yourself we'll put it in the show notes. in summary um, yes grammarly does help you in terms of finding repetitive words and you know analyzing your text to improve it but also because it is a computer-generated thing it's not you know a human brain uh, mm-hmm. powering this it can't distinguish certain things that actually are right but it tells you, oh, there's something wrong here. So I guess if you use it, you need to use it on the, the proviso yet, if it on the proviso of if it does show you up on certain things, absolutely change them. But if it does, um, if it's wrong in some of the things that it tells you, then just ignore it. Don't don't write it off as a shitty app. You know, just take the good stuff from it in a sense. So well, it could be the useful. Di- the dif- well, the difficulty
1: I have with that is that you have to recognise – where Grammarly's got it wrong. So you therefore yes. have to have some level you know, some level mm. of understanding to know where, that it – I mean, you and I would know that Grammarly's got it wrong and Jill probably does but, you know, for someone who really struggles with grammar, um, they're not going to know. So, you know, and also sometimes, you know, perfect usage of grammar is actually not the best way in everyday life yeah. or in everyday writing or it depends on the, the context obviously um, I think it's important to understand the rules before you choose to break them. But I think that, um, you know, like sometimes perfect grammar is not the best way forward in some ways, Yes, I would say.
2: Yes, that's true. Mm. But anyway, let's... Anyway, um, it's, it's a good start. Yeah, say that. yeah, it's a good start. <laughs> uh, now, I understand that... Um, something exciting that we didn't mention, Al, that, oh. um, but uh, listeners might uh, find this useful because if you are hearing a couple of little audio issues, first of all, we'd like to apologise, but mm. Alison got the NBN today and oh. it's, it's still settling in, I think. <laughs> still settling in. It's still it really in.
1: is still settling
2: in. So by next find, week you know, we will have fixed it, I'm sure. Yeah,
1: <laughs> hopefully by next week we'll just be sounding incredibly amazing. What can I say? Yes, but you know, I mean, the downside of us being in two separate parts of the state uh, that the audio can
2: sometimes be a little bit dodgy. So yeah. apologies for that. But thank you for your patience. But yes, you have an interesting link for us. I do. I,
1: I I'm always interested in in um, the so it's a, it's again from the writer unboxed website, and I think that you know it's it's a great site because it's it's writers writing about writing, and I love the fact that they're so incredibly honest Mm. about all aspects of writing on this particular website. And one of the things that uh, I found a post um, by Heather Webb and it's Mm. called the haves and the have nots surviving writer envy. And it goes where people won't always admit, you know, that there's an issue in the sense of being incredibly jealous um, Mm. when, other writers seem to be doing really, really well. Um, Mm. You know, where they're slaving away, editing, doing all the things, going through all the stages and all the processes, doing we feel everything right and yet somebody else seems to catch that wave and, you know, they're succeeding and we're not. And, you know, it's any part of life, it is, but, you know, a writer probably can experience it. And the worst part about it is that, you know, you're often friends with other writers and therefore it's, your friends that are doing this to you. <laughs> uh, I'm sure, they're not looking at you, thinking that. But yeah, um, so look, it's a it's an interesting little uh, post just about dealing with that writer envy and trying to not be completely derailed by the fact that other people are doing well. Be- just because other people are doing well doesn't mean that you're doing badly. Yes. and I think that one of the things that um, that she says is that you have to walk your own path like you mm. you cannot be comparing yourselves if you're looking sideways all the time at what other people are doing then you're not looking ahead and you're not focusing on what it is that you're trying to do and what you're going after. And I think that that's something that, um, you know, I'm sure your mum probably told you that when you were in, you know, grade five or whatever and everybody else seemed to have the latest shoes or do whatever. Mm. Um, it's all about what you do. And I think if you can try to focus on what you're doing, not what everyone else is doing, then, you know, that concentration um, will take you a long way. And she has some other great, you know, tips on, I think, One of them, which is really important, is focusing on what you can control. And Mm -hmm. I remember um, Alison Rushby who's a very good friend of mine and also a very, um, you know, well, very successful published author. So, you know, I've had my own moments there, but we share the same name and everything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, she, I remember her saying to me once years and years ago that the only thing that you can control in a writing career is your book, your story, what you're doing on the page. That's the only thing that you really have control over is what you produce on that page. And, you know, once you do that, it goes to the editor, it goes to the publisher. You have no real control over how it's promoted or how it's – you just honestly, like it's – unless you're self-publishing, in which case, you know, it's all about you. Mm. But if you – um, and then, even then, you can't respond how read, you can't um, control how readers respond. You yeah. can't control, you know. So the only thing you can really control is is what you do, which is writing your story. And it was fantastic advice then, and it remains fantastic advice now. You know, focus on what you're doing mm-hmm. and control the only thing that you can, which is what you put on that page. Um, I think is is great advice. Have you have you ever experienced writerly
2: envy, Valerie? Well, it's really weird because. Um, I don't really get envious, whether of writing or other things. I I can actually remember the most vivid moment as a child. I must have been... I don't know, eight or seven, somewhere seven, eight or nine. Mm. And I remember going to Camellia Gardens in Miranda (laughs) and there was some kind of um, competition, like a raffle. And uh, and this is, I can't believe I'm telling you this before, but um, there was this raffle where you could win these amazing, amazing, just absolutely gorgeous, as a seven-year-old, I I thought it was a gorgeous, you know, flowers. Mm. And I remember, you know, my mum bought me some raffle ticket and I as the numbers were being called I didn't win and uh um, <laughs> and I didn't win and I remember feeling being overwhelmed with envy and jealousy uh for whoever won I didn't you know know that person but I re- I distinctly remember that feeling and I, it felt so bad that I swore to myself I never wanted to feel it again mm-hmm. and I made a point never again it's very self-aware as a seven-year-old. It's year a old. bit I'm – well, I could have been nine, but I was mm. definitely in single digits. I remember that. <laughs> so you never had that 15-year-old yeah, moment where you were horribly jealous
1: of some girl who got the boy that you wanted or anything like that?
2: No, no. That was such a profound and awful full-body experience at, that I never wanted to feel it again. Mm. And um, and yeah, I, I don't think I have, actually. Well, it's, you- it's a bit strange. Well, you've definitely walked your own path.
1: That's probably got <laughs> an awful lot to do with it. But I, just in tying into that particular blog post that we were talking about is a, mm. is another one that was written mm. by our um, Australian Writer Centre presenter, Natasha Lester, yes. who, of course, has a, a new fabulous book coming out um, in April and um, called A Kiss from Mr Fitzgerald, and it's getting lots of great reviews and things yes. like that. But she wrote a post recently called On Writing and Luck, mm. and she talks about the role of luck that it – that luck plays in a writing career and i think that that these two posts are worth reading together because you know as she says luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity and she also she has just been to the perth writers festival and it reminded her of how much that quote applies to writers because as she said, I've yet to meet a writer who's been able to say hand on heart that everything that good that's happened to them in their writing journey has been solely down to hard work. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just that serendipitous moment of your particular thing meeting someone who desperately wants that particular thing yes. or it's a chance meeting at a writer's festival that puts you in touch with an agent who loves your work or it's, it's all those different things. And she talks about... Um, You know, even the fact of recognising a fantastic idea, and I I understand that too because that Mm. I honestly think that with the Mapmaker Chronicles, two conversations with my son were the luckiest thing that ever happened Mm. to me because it was just that serendipitous moment of going, oh, that could work. Mm. And then a lucky conversation with my agent who said, Alison, we need you know, middle grade fiction. Oh, well, I just happen to have this random idea. So she talks about a couple of different um, stories of luck that she has um, come across, you know, during the Writers' Festival. So it's worth having a read of those two posts together and then just kind of musing a little bit on how focusing on what you do may well bring the luck to you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that they're they're both vital, the hard work and – being open to and seeking out opportunities not necessarily expecting them to land in your lap no that's right exactly recognizing Mm. them where you see them right well let's move on to our giveaway this week if you want a chance to win this week's book which is the novel the novel is called tom horton and the author is todd alexander I often get confused that you know are the name and <laughs> very similar name to, to the okay. to the author, but anyway, yes. uh, it's by an Australian author, Todd Alexander, and it starts in the western suburbs of Sydney, centering on Tom as he escapes schoolyard dreams by immersing himself in the golden age of Hollywood cinema. So he finds out that he shares a name with Catherine Hepburn's brother. That's Tom oh. Horton Hepburn, and he falls further into a fantasy fantasy world that doesn't quite end very well. But now, 30 years later, on the other side of the world, events trigger his past to catch up with him once more. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> so if you would like a chance to win, then all you need to do is go to writerscentercomau slash win and tell us your favourite pre-1980 films and uh, entries close Monday the 14th of March so make sure you are uh, getting your entries in but uh, if you're leaving, listening to this as back catalogue don't worry we have other uh, giveaways that are always on so go to writercentercomau slash win This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writer Centre a world leader in writing courses If
0: you'd love to create your own picture book, our popular five-week course in writing picture books will show you how. In a few hours each week, you'll discover what you need to know about point of view, structure and pace, language and rhythm, finding the right voice, working with illustrators, publishing options, and much more. Complete it online for the ultimate convenience and receive
1: personalised feedback from your tutor each week. Find out more at writercentre.com.au slash picturebooks. So, Valerie, who is our writer-in-residence this week?
2: Well, our writer-in-residence is an Australian author called Emma Alan and she's hmm. actually a picture book author and she's just released her third picture book called My Friend Ernest and oh. it's about uh, it's the first day of school and Oscar is trying hard to be brave and uh, Oscar's mum thinks that he'll make lots of friends but Oscar isn't so sure especially when Ernest seems so mean and scary. Now it's from award-winning children's writer Emma Allen and uh, the illustrator for that book is Han- Hannah Somerville but you may know that Emma Allen won the um, 2013 CBCA Early Childhood Book of the Year and was shortlisted for the WA Premier's Literary Awards for her book The Terrible Suitcase oh. and uh, it's interesting because she is, she started off as a speech therapist and um, but then has slowly transitioned into a career in writing. So uh, let's hear from Emma. So thank you so much for joining us today, Emma.
0: Thank you, Valerie. I'm looking forward to it.
2: Now, my friend Ernest, very exciting. It's about the first day of school. Uh, For readers who haven't read your book yet, can you tell us what it's about?
0: Uh, yes, it's a story about two children and I guess the trials and tribulations of growing up. Uh, it's about a child who um, learns to be brave um, by making a new friend on his first day of school.
2: And how did this idea for this book form? Like what made you think, oh, I'm going to write about the first day of school and about these two kids?
0: Uh, look, originally, Valerie, it it wasn't. The idea wasn't to write about the first day of school. Mm -hmm. It was really, that sort of came later. It was really about this little guy, um, Oscar, who popped into my head and I imagine what his character was like. I've got a little boy who's a similar age and um, he just grew on me over time and I started to scribble down ideas of maybe little things that might happen in his life uh, how he might react to friends and um, one day a scenario popped into my head where he was um, playing with a dress-ups box and um, a kid in a dragon costume frightened him and I thought oh I think that's That's the beginning of my story. Wow. (laughs) And it grew from there. It grew from there.
2: Yes. Is that how most of your books form with a character first, like Oscar or whoever?
0: Um, It does, Valerie. I've got, just before our interview, I was looking through some books that I have on the shelf that are like um, little writer's journals for me. And when I sit down to start a new story, I spend time looking through them and it struck me that none of them have stories as such. They, they're full of characters. Mm. And when I go to start a story, then I might be drawn to a character, one more than the other. And that then starts me off thinking about, you know, who is this character? Where do they live? Who might their friends be? And then a story grows from that.
2: Now, you uh well you were a pediatric speech therapist originally, yes. is yes. that correct? That's great. How in the world did you go, you go from, from being a pediatric, pediatric speech, speech therapist yes. to becoming an author? How, like what was the uh, did you always want to be a writer or did you discover it later in life? Uh, how, what are the steps?
0: Uh, look, it's a good question. I think both is the answer. Um I always wanted to be a writer and I discovered it Um, when I was very young, like in year one or year two, I used to love writing little poems and I've even got them, I think at my parents' house, somewhere, little copies of poems I used to write and a first picture book that that I did (laughs) and I just loved stories back then and it stayed with me and through my high school years, I I wrote poetry and when I got older, I thought, oh, I, I really want to be a poet when I grow up. And then when I went through high school, I um, I was quite, I was always drawn to literature and the arts, um, but I also had a bit of a sciencey math spend as well. Mm. So I thought that speech therapy might sort of be a nice fit with the linguistics and the narrative, and putting it together in the science. And so I did that and I had a great time. Um, And during those years, I spent a lot of time working with children with um, language disorders who um, needed assistance with understanding narratives. And I lived with stories and I hadn't intended to do anything further with stories except to enjoy them with the children that I worked with. Uh, but I found that um, sometimes when you're working one-on-one with children all day, we did do groups, but a lot of my work was one-on-one, it became quite um, quite lonely in terms of adult company. Mm-hmm. And so what I did was um, to entertain myself. <laughs> I put up a, a poster of a dinosaur on my wall and I used to tell the dinosaur stories about the children <laughs> that, I, that I saw. And um, it became such a fun thing and I, I drew the beautiful children that I saw into this and they used to come in and they used to tell the dinosaur stories. And um, that was one of the you know techniques I used to get them into narrative and to understand why narrative is so much fun. And... Um, Anyway, so I did this, and after a few years, it turned into a journal. Mm. And when I started dating my husband, I uh, said, "Oh, I used to read him some funny stories from my journal. And to my surprise, he loved them. Mm. And I confessed that I had always wanted to um, study literature, and I was quite young at the time. And and my husband said, well, um, why don't you go back? and do literature, and I thought, well, why not? So I went back and I did an arts degree.
2: Mm. Um,
0: and during that time, I my goal was to explore what I liked and what I was drawn to. Mm. So I worked as a speech therapy, studied um, literature and film and a bit of drama as well. And um, during that time, I just kept growing closer to both film studies and literature and ended up doing a... Um, Honours degree in uh, creative writing, which combined literature and film studies, and that was great. And I had a ball, and I, I grew um, as a you know writer, and in my understanding of literature, I thought right, it's got to stop there. In the meantime, we got married, I had my first baby, and I thought I can't stop. You
2: can't stop doing. <laughs> I more. can't
0: stop writing. Right. I, I want to keep writing. So I enrolled in a masters of creative writing. Mm. And when my first child was a baby, I I began that. Um, And during that time, I came across a subject called children's literature. Mm. And um, the lecturer, the lovely lecturer there, Belle Alderman, who's at the National Centre for Children's Literature here in Canberra, she said, I think you've got a knack um, for writing for children. Why don't you have a go? And so I, during that time, I, I tried to learn well, how, how would I begin? How would I send things off? Who would want to read what I write? Yeah. And, and I had a go and it began from there.
2: So while you were doing, when, while you were exploring literature, you decided to go to uni and study it. Was the intention purely, you know, like out of pleasure? Or in the back of your mind, did you think I might have a career change?
0: I definitely wanted a career change. Right. I loved the speech therapy, but it, I found that during my days as a speech therapy therapist, I I wanted to be closer to literature. I don't think I I never imagined pursuing a writing career. I don't know why, because I loved writing, but it wasn't in my head. Mm-hmm. But I did think, well, maybe I can somehow get involved in li- the literary scene somehow, yeah. and and that was I began very open, very open minded.
2: So at no, what at point, point, when you, point 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 you say that you that didn't thing. really think you'd be a writer, you just thought you'd be in the industry, so to speak, yes. um, at what point did you think, oh, I can be a writer? <laughs>
0: um, I thought, I thought, I think I'm still fine. I, I think I'm still learning to think that. Mm-hmm. I Things changed during the Masters when I started producing pieces of writing that people responded to really positively and mm-hmm. um, I had written bits and pieces for family and uh, friends over the years and they'd always really enjoyed them but I think it's a different thing when when someone who knows the industry says to you hey I think you've got something you should you should try again and have another go and mm. th- it just gave me the confidence I needed and now I think I've got to the point where um, Every time I start something, I think, I'm not sure I can do this. And then the other part of me says, but I love this. I've got the background and why don't you have a go? And so I have a go and then it just grows and grows. And, and by the end, I'm, I feel really good about it.
2: And so what was your first book? And take us through the steps on how you got that break, how you you know got the first publisher to say yes.
0: Yes. Look, I was extremely fortunate and the more I'm almost learning backwards I think um in this but the more yeah I I find out the more I realize that I was just very very fortunate with how it happened the first manuscript that became accepted was called um grandma the baby and me Mm -hmm. which was actually the second book that I had published um but it was the first manuscript that and yeah. I I sent that off actually it's quite a funny story because I thought I, I had consulted some, some people around around the plates who I knew wrote and mm-hmm. I said, Look, I'd like to send this off and most people said, Good luck, but you probably don't have any chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said to my husband, Well, I think that might be right but I'm just gonna have a go anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to send it off anyway. And then I'll know that I've given it my best shot. Yes. So I, I looked around and I, I followed the advice of what a lot of people say, which is to look look around the books that speak to you, that yeah. you enjoy. And um, so I did that. And I ended up thinking that um, Omnibus might like mm-hmm. my story. And um, I printed it off and, and sent it off hard copy and, didn't really expect to hear, and then one day, to my amazement, a few months later, I received a phone call from um, Dan Blacklock at Omnibus, Mm -hmm. who said, um, we love your story, we want to publish it, can you send us an electronic copy?
2: Wow, and how did you feel?
0: Oh, I couldn't believe it, (laughs) Um, and as I was saying, it's quite funny, because I I was really very convinced that no one would say yes, and I'd... Mm -hmm. I'd printed off. I hadn't actually kept kept a copy for myself. And when they said send you an electronic copy, I thought I, I didn't even keep one, which is terrible because they usually keep you know, <laughs> <laughs> drafts of everything, you know. And but I was still developing, you know. I was just beginning, and I hadn't. I just really hadn't believed it would happen. And mm-hmm. so anyway, I went back through my archives, and we found a copy from. That I'd kept at the university on file there. Oh
2: my goodness! (laughs) In the
0: email, and I printed it off. And from that moment on, I've religiously kept every draft. (laughs) Yes. Um, and developed quite a process now for dealing with all those drafts. But that that was the very very first one.
2: And how did that end up being the second book published? If that was the first manuscript.
0: Yeah. Look, it just it took a long long time um, to find an illustrator. I think Mm. that was. That was the story. Um, And I, in the meantime, I had written some other stories. I'd sent off uh, one called The Terrible Suitcase, which was actually the first one that came out. Yes. Um, And I really loved doing The Terrible Suitcase. I'd found a little bit of confidence by then, and I'd done much more work with my writing and with my Masters. I loved that process. I sent it in to the same company, and... um, was successful with that and the way that the schedule worked and the availability of illustrators and what I you, it just worked out that way.
2: And, in fact, that won the 2013 CBCA Early Childhood Book of the Year and it was did. shortlisted for the WA Premier's Literary Award, so it was super successful. Yes. Um, um, just to give people an idea, an idea. The, yeah. the book you have now, My Friend Ernest, yes. how many words is it
0: about? about oh it's probably about 500 words
2: yeah so it's it's 500 words because it's a picture book it's illustrated by Hannah Somerville now some people think wow 500 words you know I'm writing 80,000 words or whatever (laughs) can you give people an idea of how long it takes you and I know it's a little bit like asking how long is a piece of string but just some kind of idea on from gestation from concept to gestation to writing to you know all of that even though it's only 500 words it's it's still a long time isn't it like how long did it take you yeah.
0: um this one took this one took actually an enormously long time it, it it's gone through it began as a completely different story all right and it sat on my computer for for quite a while and for me, that's how I work. I I, I generate a lot. Um, and then what I do is I, I put it away and I leave it for for at least a year. Wow. It's, yeah, at least a year. Oh, my goodness. Um, and I have, at the moment, I've got about three years of stories, just simple ideas, beginnings of stories, middle ideas that I like. So they start off in journals, mm. just these little characters. And then I might just begin a story one day or I might come up with a concept and I'll just type it in my computer and I do that. And I have a a number going at the same time. And then um, I've developed now, as I was saying, a couple of years backlog. And then I go through and then I choose when I'm about to write a story, I go back through those and I try to choose one that I feel um, that the timing is right Mm. to work on, Mm. just one that I'm drawn to, Mm. and then I work on that. And it might take me a couple of months then to go through and really get the story right. Then I put it away and I leave it again um, for a couple of months, and then I come back to it and um, I go through it again. I try to make it better, to edit it, improve it in whatever way I can. And then I think um, I generally show some people at this stage, Mm. Um, and then if you know, all positive there then I might think, Well, is this good to send off to someone? So it takes age.
2: <laughs> so when you are actually working when you're actually focusing on it and you're not it's not put away. Yep. What's your daily routine like? Do you work on it like for eight hours or like do you have some kind of routine when you're focusing on a particular work?
0: Um, I think it's a nightly routine. I've got um, three young children, Valerie, who um, have the youngest is now three. Mm. Um, So in the years that I've been writing these, I've I've really been in the chaos of young children. Um, But that has its own. I carry the story with me during the day, I I guess is the best way to describe it. When Mm. when I'm really working on it, um, it stays with me. And it stays with me in the car. I have a little thing on my phone um that I type down ideas if they come to me when I'm out and about and then I do all the the nightly chaos and um after the children are in bed and everything's sorted out then I'll sit down with the characters and with the stories and I'll go through sections of the story and um I'll go through you know I I try and be fairly methodical. So I look at the narrative arc, I look at the language choice, I look at, um, you know, how I've, the order in which I've sort of written things, I look at characters, I just, I try and go through um, and write, sort of edit my own work like that. And, And as I do that, then the story grows and it shrinks and it grows and it shrinks.
2: Mm. And um, what age group would you say your picture books are for?
0: So far, um, the picture books that have been out have tended to uh, be for the preschool to year two market, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: preschool to year one. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people with their terrible suitcase are a lot of year two students that come up to me that really enjoy that one. Mm. Um, I know that uh, Grandma, the Baby and Me was read on play school recently and so mm. that, you know, they obviously felt that hit the preschool age group, which mm. was amazing and was a highlight to see that read. Yes. And um, I think my friend Ernest is probably hits the preschool to year one. Right. Or, yeah. or possibly year two. Yeah. And how
2: do you immerse yourself into the world of a preschooler or, a, you know, a year one child like how do you um get your mind into yeah. how they would want to read or, or or what they would want to what kind of stories that w- would resonate with them
0: um partly i'm immersed in it um i have those three young children and mm. i just i guess my heart you know, aches a bit when I I see all the trials they go through. And I remember how hard and how happy, you know, it is to grow up. It's just such a... Really? um, Yeah, it's it's such an exciting time. I really love it. I really have a passion for trying to explain it. I I think a lot of people, it's easy to forget in the, you know, busyness of adult life just Mm. how rich that time is. Mm. and yeah and you
2: vividly remember how it was for you
0: I do I I remember (sighs) lots of I've got vivid memories of that time I was telling my daughter's class the other day um when I went in for a school visit that I remember um when I was little um Possum Magic came out Mm. and um we did a big we had a wonderful librarian who used to make these amazing displays for the library. And one of them was we made these polystyrene lemmingtons to celebrate <laughs> possum magic. And the teacher said to me, Now remember, these are not real lemmingtons. They're going to look like lemmingtons, but they're not real lemmingtons. So we painted them brown and we rolled them in coconut. And I just thought they were amazing. And I knew that they were, I knew they were fake because I'd made them, I'd painted them. And on the way out, I still remember this. We were lining up and, and they said, you know, great work, we're off to class now, don't touch the Lemingtons And I said to my daughter, I couldn't help it, I just had to have a bite. Oh! <laughs> and so I took a bite and it got a mouthful of paint and polystyrene. I still remember it. Oh my God. But I, to me, even though I knew that we had made those lemmingtons, It was so real mm. and so exciting that I had to have a bite. And that's what stories are like for me. I, I just thought if stories can move you to eat polystyrene lemmingtons when you're new to <laughs> yeah, they're worth, you know, investing in. I just, yeah, I've, I've loved stories ever since. I had such wonderful teachers
2: mm. um,
0: during those years who loved to read us stories and love to do anything to do with stories. And I have a lot of very... Vivid memories from those years.
2: Wow. When you were, um, I mean, you obviously decided to become a speech therapist. Did you, uh, did you ever seriously consider going into writing the first time around?
0: Uh, I did. I, I've got journals, as I sort of yes. said. I think over over the years, but I never could see, as a young person, how I could do it.
2: Yes, yeah, same here. I mean, yes, I made the switch later in life as well. Yeah, right.
0: Okay. Um. So,
2: what's next for you? What are you working on? If are you, if you said you've got a number of stories like in the cupboard or in the yes. hard drive or yes. whatever, <laughs> I um, is there one that you is going to be your next book that you've decided on?
0: Um. So beautiful, Hannah Somerville, She's the illustrator mm. for my friend Ernest. She also illustrated Grandmother Baby and Me. We've struck up a great creative partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, I really needed someone who I could toss about some ideas with. Uh, as I said, I usually work from home late at night mm. <laughs> on my own, which is which is fun. But sometimes you just really need people to toss around your ideas with. Mm. Um, I've grown to trust Hannah over the last couple of books we've done, and I think we have a very similar way of seeing. Mm. And I, I, even though we'd actually only met, we've only actually met the once. Um, I think we're just very, very fortunate in how it's worked out that we have such a lovely connection. Mm. So um, what we've done is we, we've tossed some ideas about, and when I get to a point with a manuscript that I think, hey, I really like this, um, I might send it to Hannah.
2: Right.
0: And I find that enormously helpful because she has. Um, you know the artists and the visual sort of perspective on how to bring it to life. Yes. And um, and yeah, I'm learning a lot from Hannah about um, it, how an artist might see what you're writing, and 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 that's been really exciting. So um, yeah, I've I've shot Hannah a few stories, and um, how we work is that she puts together a few sketches, mm. and. Um, if she likes the story, and then we might further toss some ideas about together. Uh, And so we're doing one like that at the moment. So it doesn't have a contract as such yet, but we're working. um, It's quite advanced with how far it's come along, so hopefully that will come off at some point.
2: What's your advice to aspiring writers who hope to be in a position like you, Ah, one day, you know, maybe they're a speech therapist and they're yeah. secretly wanting to write. <laughs> What's yeah, your advice um, on the steps they should take?
0: Um, I, it's, it's different for everyone, isn't it? But yes. I'll, I'll tell you what it's like for me. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, what I needed to do was to get some confidence that um, what I was writing had some merit. Mm. And everyone has different ways of going about that. Um, And, I, you know, that's great. But for me, I really did have to go back and study literature and do it (laughs) it the long way, I guess. Um, But it's given me such a great freedom now Mm -hmm. because I feel that when people ask me what I'm doing with the book or with the story or with the words, I can really respond in a professional way Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully <laughs> I I think that I can I've learnt just so many invaluable skills like how to how to work on a text and mm. how to not feel discouraged if it's not working out and how to reapproach it and renegotiate it mm. and all those things, all those skills for me personally I, I wouldn't have had had I not gone back mm. and, and done that but people get those skills other ways but that's that's how I would have done it. The other thing is I would say to people, um, love stories. Mm. Um, love what you do because for me, I've there have been occasions where I've tried to force a story mm. and I don't know if this is common, but for me, if I try and do that, it's just completely, it just falls down flat. Mm. Um, so love what you do if it's not working and um, you can't work out how it's not working and you're not liking it leave it and then come back to it find something else keep working but leave that particular story work on something else and I find that cyclical approach really good Do you um, think
2: you'll write for other age groups one day?
0: Yes, I hope so um, I'm writing a novel at the moment
2: For what age? Um,
0: for early high school age
2: group. Mm-hmm
0: So um, it may, I may bump it up higher into a young adult novel. Um, So I'm doing a PhD uh, at the moment with Mm -hmm. the University of Canberra. And part of that PhD is a a novel for young people. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I will, I'll explore in all sorts of different areas, but I've begun in picture books because that's where I felt um, I fitted. It's where I felt I knew. So, you know, that everyone knows the thing, write what you know. Yes. And that's where I felt, you know, I, I sat best. Um, yeah, and the big thing for me is to stay authentic. Yeah. Um, so I don't try to write things that aren't me. Um, so a lot of people um, maybe want to try something different. Um, and I think that's great, but maybe find uh, what you think your own voice is first mm. and then explore that. And I think that can, yeah, give you a lot of confidence. At least that's sort of what I'm doing. And well, you're do obviously you
2: doing something right because oh, okay. um, <laughs> the books are very successful and award-winning. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, great advice, great advice. Yeah. Um, all right, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for all of your uh, insight and your time today, Emma.
0: Thanks, Valerie.
2: There you go, Emma Allen.
1: Well, that was a great interview, Valerie, and i, I find it really interesting that she has such vivid memories of that of that of being that age. Yes, that yes, she, you know that she writes, and, you know the reason she writes for that age, it's um because I have to be honest with you, I don't actually remember an awful lot about being. I remember the books from that age. When was age? the
2: most vivid time period in your life, to you, or most, you know, where you felt the most, when you were most emo? <laughs> oh,
1: probably, if that's very interesting, because probably the age group I write for now, probably right. that sort of ten to ten to fourteen.
2: You, you mean when you were ten to fourteen, that was the most vivid time uh, in your yeah, life? Yeah,
1: I think so, because I we had lived in the Northern Territory for a long time, and we moved to the South Coast. When I was ten, and it was a right. massive upheaval, yeah. um, and you know I had a couple of really difficult years at school because I had come into fifth grade at a school, and it was um, it was a very difficult it wasn't great Mm. let's just say that um and then I started high school and I started high school sort of almost on my own in the sense that a lot of the kids that I had gone to school with um went away to school went to different you know went to other places so I sort of started again at this massive public high school and there was only maybe two or three two or three children from my school that went to this high school so it was starting again again you know what I mean so um, yeah, so that's really interesting. I hadn't actually ever really thought of it like that. But yeah, really. I think you're right. It's pretty vivid. Those years are mm. vivid. So that mm. may be exactly what she's talking about.
2: Yeah, so if you write children's fiction of whatever age, think about the most vivid time in you know in your own life. See whether it corresponds to the age that you'd like to write for. It'd be mm-hmm. interesting. Let us know. Mm, Do. Um, you know, either through social media or, or email us, podcast at dot au. So, uh, I thought that we would talk about a uh, because our app pick for the week. I thought we'd talk about this new app. And this comes to us via Kim Foster on Twitter. Yes. And it it is, you can look it up at themostdangerouswritingapp.com. themostdangerouswritingapp.com. And basically you go to this app, it's just, you know, on your desktop and you can um, pick a length of time, whether you want to write for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, so on. And uh, I suggest writing for picking a short amount of time for your first go. So I had a go at this. And basically what happens is you just keep on writing, but if you stop during your allocated time then it will wipe everything wipe all of your oh everything yes it'll wipe it's not even
1: like write or die which just starts erasing words as you go
2: oh it's the whole Whole thing goes. goes yeah unless I didn't sort of write enough but I wrote some you know a fair bit um yeah and it all it all went so that if that's not incentive for you to keep writing I don't know what is but uh kind of a cute tool if you want to give it a go Ooh, but what's no. our <laughs> category yeah maybe not no <laughs> maybe not what's our working writers tip this week
1: Ah, well, this is interesting. Given you know that we've just been discussing my the the end of my editing process, mm. but I received a question via Cheryl. It's Rosario or Rosario. So hi, Cheryl, mm-hmm. um, who is a regular visitor to my Facebook page, mm. and she said to me, I had put up a photograph because I was Instagramming. Remember we talked about my current love. Mm-hmm. Um, I was Instagramming, and I had put up a, an image of the of the manuscript that I was working on, and she said, "I see you're editing a printed copy of your manuscript." What are the benefits to this over editing on the laptop slash computer? Um, And I thought that was quite an interesting question because I think I do this as a matter of course because of my uh, background in sub-editing and working on magazines. But I always print it um, and I read it. And with the children's fiction, I read it out loud. Um, Mm. to somebody, anybody who will listen to me um, because I can hear it and I mark it up as I always have done in over a million years. Um, And the reason I do it um, is because I think that when you read the printed page, you get the reader experience as opposed to the writer experience Mm. and I find it a lot easier to see A, the mistakes, you know, just the general typos and things like that that you make anyway Um, but also the clunkiness, you know, I can really see where things, the sentences are miles too long or the the paragraphs yeah. are too hard to wade through. I mean, some of them I just forget to put a break in and um, I just, I, it, it's a, it seems to use a different part of your brain yes. to read it like that um, with a pen in your hand, which is what I also do. I sit there with yep. my pen reading aloud to my son rolls his eyes in the background um but yeah it's um that's the reason that I do it and I it is it is partly just my I I think that background in in journalism and sub-editing that makes me work that way Mm. um but yeah you you I imagine work the same way?
2: Absolutely. So when it comes to uh, like a structural edit or just something where you're not looking at proofreading, Mm. uh, you know, something very early in the process, there is no doubt I have to print it out on Mm. paper. And I think you're right. I think that A, you get the reader's experience, but B, there's something about the pacing. You can also um, feel the pacing a little bit more when you can Mm. see, oh, that was eight pages ago or whatever. Um, If when it comes to more line editing and proofreading, I still prefer to do it on the printed page Mm, but i can i can do it online obviously um so in on that end at the tail end of it i can do both but i just want to encourage anyone out there who has so far only ever done it on the screen oh please print it out if even if you don't have a printer go get it printed somewhere it is such a different experience and you Mm. will i believe be a Edit it better once you get to experience what's that's what that's like.
1: I think. Yeah, I do, and I also think it just there's something about words on paper that Mm. gives the words more weight, and so you actually you the the weight of the printed word and how much space it takes up on the page and all of those things really count when you're doing an edit, and I think that that um, is invaluable for actually seeing the rhythm of your work and how your words are coming together and all of those different things. It also shows you up really, really quickly and easily where your repetitive words are, like the yes. ones that you use over and over again, you will see them because you, I circle them. And if you just, you, it, and sometimes there's like six circles on the page of the same word, yeah. just because it's one of my vocal ticks. And it's like, huh. oh man, that's got to go.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I I think we take it for granted, Al, because we have printers. But I'm meeting. Quite a few people who don't actually have printers. Oh, I
1: take mine I, when I'm printing a manuscript because it can be 200 pages. I just take mine down to Office Works. I put it on a on a. Um yeah right. I put it on a drive and I take it down to Office, so I'm not going to print two hundred words at home. If I'm doing one or two pages, I will, but mm. I do think a printer is a handy thing to have for this purpose, if nothing else um and you know the other value in it, and this is something that you kind of overlook is that when you when you mark up a printed page and then you then have to go and input those changes onto the screen, you are mm. actually doing that edit twice. Because you're reading it as you go again, and you will pick up things even the second time as you go through. it allows you it allows you to use two parts of your brain to do different parts of your brain to do the one process, and I think that you do a, a cleaner and more thorough job because of it.
2: Yeah, fantastic. Hmm. Yeah, so give it give it a go. give it a go. All right, let's move on to something a little bit different. I just want to give a shout-out to uh, to David Rook, whose daughter listens to this podcast. And David Rook has mentioned that his daughter um, recently completed a school assignment. Uh, They're reading, looking for Ella Brandy, and she wrote an interview for her school assignment as if she was the host of So You Want to Be a Writer. So thank you so much to uh, David Rook's daughter for doing that.
1: (laughs) That's very cute. I wonder and if mentioned you mentioned Latin listening. in there. <laughs> <laughs> Just out of interest.
2: Probably not. But anyway, uh, before we chat again next week, Al, what will you be doing?
1: Oh, that's a good question. What will I be doing? Oh, do you know what? I will be – I've got a Skype coaching session booked for later this week, so I'm making some notes. Um, I've been sent Great. through an agenda, making some notes and searching out some information for that. So I'm very much looking forward uh, to doing
2: that. Uh, with one of my people. And um, and if people want to get a Skype coaching session with you, how do they do that?
1: I, I will put the link in the show notes, but it's a simple matter of dropping me an email and us organising a time.
2: Hmm. So just find out more at Alison Alison Tate. Tate. Dot. com.
1: That's correct. Sorry. Yes. Thank you
2: for prompting <laughs> me there, Valerie. What would
1: I do without you? <laughs> Tate. com. Thank you. Uh, yes. And, um, and I, I will be, of course, just working on things things okay well I won't be doing another edit for a little bit I'm going to give myself the rest oh, of that yeah so I'm doing I've got a corporate job to do and I have to write a blog post and you know just that sort of stuff
2: Val yeah that sort of stuff that sort of stuff what be, you what are you I'll be replanting my chili plant because uh we started <laughs> speaking before we started recording that uh my chili plant fell over because you're giving me you're my go-to green thumb I know. Aren't you lucky?
1: I'm just a woman of many (laughs) talents. I know. I just got so
2: much going on. And I now need to really get back stuck into a whole bunch of things on my to-do list because I had quite a stressful week last week and a very, very busy one that by the time, and I you know, went to Brisbane, and by the time I got back at about 11.30 on Saturday night, I just was so exhausted that I was just you know dedicated to making Sunday a total day of rest where all I did was just anything I absolutely wanted. And it was very indulgent. Uh, I didn't eat banoffee, but no. I did lots of other things. And so now back into it and, you know, getting, getting things crossed off the list. So. Well, you've got if, to do those edits, Valerie. Like next yes. time we oh, talk. Yes, that, that for, our,
1: for our 100th episode, All I right. really feel that there needs to be a triumphant announcement. Of banoffee. that you've had the banoffee pie. I mean, okay. Been waiting, we've been waiting right. weeks. This too. Yeah.
2: Uh, even people in Brisbane ask me about the banoffee. See, <laughs> I yep, will make that commitment that I will finish this. Oh, okay, I have
1: to week. make a note to ask you about it next yes. week. <laughs>
2: All right. Uh, but thank you for listening, everyone. And uh, please do find us online. You can go to writerscenter.com.au or you can find me at Valerie Koo on a whole range of social media. And we'll find you
1: where, Al? You'll find me at AlisonTate.com. You'll find me on Instagram at AlisonTateWriter. You will find me on Twitter at Al Tate. And you will find me, where else am I? Facebook, AlisonTateWriter.
2: Awesome. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you next week. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news, where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions, and much more.